You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Friday, June 12, 2020. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner has reports on a lawsuit between local and federal government on the Houston South Restoration Project, a project that would pollute Lake Monroe, Bloomington's primary source for drinking water. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB news correspondent Alex Deirderer produces a profile on a black transfer student from Butler University who attended the Enough is Enough protest one week ago. But first, your local headlines. Earlier this week, Monroe County Republican Party Chairman William Ellis announced his intent to sue the city of Bloomington. As WFHB correspondent Jake Jacobson reports, the lawsuit comes in response to a contested appointment to the Bloomington Plan Commission by Mayor John Hamilton. This week, the Monroe County Republican Party announced plans to sue the city of Bloomington. The, quote, historic lawsuit, end quote, a press release sent out this week claims, is an attempt to block the appointment of real estate broker Chris Cockrum to the Bloomington Plan Commission, which Monroe County Republican Party Chairman William Ellis says is an illegal appointment. There are nine voting bodies on the Bloomington Plan Commission. Five of those nine seats are appointed by the mayor. In January of this year, Nick Kappas, who previously held the seat, was not reappointed. According to Indiana Code 36-1-8-10, when a mayoral appointed vacancy occurs, the mayor has 90 days to fill the seat with a new appointment. If the seat is still vacant after 90 days, Indiana Code says that, quote, the county chair of the political party of the member whose term has expired shall make the appointment, end quote. In April, 93 days after Kappas's seat opened, Chairman Ellis issued a press release in which he appointed Andrew J. Gunther Jr. to sit on the plan commission. In early May, however, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton announced that he would be appointing Cockrum to the same seat, superseding Ellis's appointment. The Bloomington Plan Commission oversees most land development projects in some capacity. The Plan Commission, according to Bloomington's website, is the decision-making body for site plan review, preliminary and final plats, and final planned unit developments. The Plan Commission also advises the Common Council on land use issues such as unified development ordinances and growth policy plans. Kappas, whose seat vacated in January, ran as an independent in 2019 raising questions to whether or not his seat is considered a Republican vacancy and therefore eligible for Chairman Ellis to fill. To further complicate the issue, Indiana Code states the mayor cannot fill more than three seats with members of the same major political party. Cockrum, who told B-Square Beacon in May that he mailed his Republican ballot ahead of last week's primaries, voted in the Democratic primary in 2019. Of the four mayor-appointed seats currently filled, Three are Democrats. In the press release sent out earlier this week announcing the lawsuit, Chairman Ellis clarifies that this case is about, quote, upholding the laws of Indiana, end quote, and not meant to discredit Cochran. 
Chairman Ellis continues, saying, quote, If Mr. Cockrum would have made his interests known to me, I would have considered him among our pool of potential appointees, end quote. The city of Bloomington's legal department could not give comment due to the pending litigation. For WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson. The Monroe County Commissioners discussed a rezone request of Fable Farms during their June 10th meeting. Planner Drew Myers said the ordinance would rezone approximately six acres from suburban residential to agricultural rural reserve. He said the rezone is to allow a food production operation and a continuance of a composting operation. Myers said a composting facility is not allowed under their current zoning. Fable Farms' owner spoke about their food production. So uh, our food production is mostly produce. We have a high tunnel that we are currently, we're actually not using it right now. We're uh, remediating the soil. But uh, yeah, produce, we've been uh, growing sweet potatoes, greens. Um, We have a berry patch, strawberry patch. So mostly that. We do not process uh, our animals on site. Uh, in general, we just don't butcher here. We just let our, let our hands be free and do their thing. Commissioners unanimously approved the rezone. Also during their meeting, commissioners approved an executive order to enforce Monroe County Codes 257 and 262. County Attorney Jeff Cockerell explained the codes. Code Section 257 involves... Uh, using uh, camp facilities and camp paraphernalia on the courthouse lawn and that we wanted to get that removed prior to 10 a.m. on June 12, 2020. Uh, The second is uh, that the courthouse grounds is uh, open to the public from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and that use of those grounds for the for purposes is permitted and encouraged, but after between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., uh, it is not because we want to make sure our courthouse lawn is, is uh, a safe place, a clean place, and a, and a healthy place to be. County Commissioner Julie Thomas encouraged the public to voice their opinions on courthouse grounds, but said camping can become a public health issue. For more on how local businesses are showing support for the Black Lives Matter cause, we turn to WFHB junior correspondent, Katrine Bruner. One of Bloomington's local coffee shops, Hopscotch Coffee, has recently been offering the option of donating to a certain cause through their digital tip jar when ordering online. All donations are for the Black Lives Matter movement and will be going to support the Black community of Bloomington, Black causes, and other organizations and events for BLM. According to BLM Bloomington, current donations will be going specifically towards the Dignity Bag Supply Drive and sending funds to protesters fighting for the lives of George Floyd, Drayston Reed, and Breonna Taylor that were lost in recent months in the U.S. Bloomington's Rainbow Bakery will be one of the thousands of bakeries and bakers advertising and supporting Bakers Against Racism next week. Bakers Against Racism is a movement that began when pastry chef at Emilie's in Washington, D.C., Willa Pellini, was compelled to show support to protesters and the cause as a whole without being exposed to the large crowds and continuing to work as well. The three chefs, Willa Pellini, Paola Velez of DC's Kitchen Kin, and Rob Ruba of Scrappy's Bagel Bar, created a graphic and posted the idea on the web. The plan would be to offer 150 baked goods from all three establishments, with a decent amount of the proceeds going towards the Black Lives Matter movement. 
Once posted to the web, the plan was swept off according to Velez, with bakers not only from outside D.C., but also from France, Germany, Singapore, Turkey, and more, signing up to do the same. The three bakers have set up a Google Drive folder named Bakers Against Racism to help keep funds organized. The file includes graphics for posting on social media and suggested social media schedules for posting and keeping the public informed before and after the event. The movement will begin on Monday, June 15th, worldwide. Rainbow Bakery posted on their Instagram page Wednesday in support of the movement and their hope to amplify it in any way possible to the local community. The Ellettsville Plan Commission approved a final plat of a single-lot subdivision with a street right-of-way waiver. Director of Planning Kevin Talati presented the waiver in their June 11th meeting. Um, they are requesting a waiver from the subdivision regulations, which the plan commission does have the right to reduce. This is not considered a zoning variant since it is in the subdivision chapter. They're asking for their waiver to reduce that right away from 60 feet to 50 feet for the reason that it would then match up with the rights of way on either side of it. Talati said north and south of Centennial Drive have 50-foot right-of-ways. Attorney Mike Carmen said a road cannot be constructed to connect Centennial Drive as proposed. There is a court injunction right now against you putting a road through there, and they know it. And to put that on the plat is misleading. You approve that plat and record it with the right-of-way des designation on there in the face of a court order says no road through there connecting to Centennial Drive, on you. It's not Highland Park doing that. And so I'm here just to make the record clear that if you do not rely upon that plat to create a right-of-way, there's going to have to be a court order before that's going to happen. And that order, these people asked the court already to vacate the injunction against that road, and, and Judge already said no. And now they have that up on appeal. So they're in here tonight putting that road on that that right away on this plat and ask you to prove that, they're in the Court of Appeals trying to get that allowed because there's an order that says you can't do it. So keep that in mind. You can approve the plat, but I think you ought to require that right away dedication to be removed from it because it's wrong. Neighboring resident Deborah Hackman said two judges already denied appeals to build a through road. Town attorney Darla Brown said the court order does not apply to the town. Approximately two years ago, August of 2018, the Plan Commission voted to vacate the covenants and restrictions with regard to Lot 15 in Highland Estates. And there was an opportunity for an appeal, and the Court of Appeals returned or um, reversed Judge Hill, and so that's a done deal. The covenants and restrictions with regard to Lot 15 have been vacated, so that's done. So all that's before the Plan Commission tonight is the issue as to whether or not this, what used to be lot 15, is now going to be lot 79 in Centennial Park. And as you pointed out, if it meets the requirements of the subdivision regulations, then I think the Plan Commission has to grant it. Carmen said the plot is misleading. He said the judge ruled no street would run through that property no matter what the law is called. Petitioner Steve Emery said that the property was sold to TDML LLC and is not subject to the ruling. Resident Jonathan Hill said the new street would be an obvious connection for public safety. Commissioners approved the plat and waiver, with Don Calvert voting to abstain. The City of Bloomington will terminate its contract with Ken's Westside Towing. 
This comes after the owner's son posted a racist TikTok. Kenny Parrish said in the video that George Floyd was a menace to society, end quote, and suggested he died from a meth overdose. Before the incident, Ken's Westside Towing were contract tow vehicles by police or parking enforcement officers. According to Yael Cassander, the city gave a seven-day notice to Ken's Westside Towing, announcing the contract would be terminated. The owner posted on the company's Facebook page, quote, He was not raised in this way. My wife nor I, as well as the whole company, do not support anything he has said in the video, end quote. The Indiana Daily Student found several deleted TikToks, one in which he sings along to a song that references the incident in Charlottesville, Virginia, where a white supremacist drove a vehicle into a crowd of Black Lives Matter protesters, killing dozens. Kenny Parrish said that he has dismissed his son from his duties. The Bloomington Arts Commission discussed a request for qualifications for a public art installation. Public Arts Chair Nick Blanford said the art would be installed at the Trades District Garage. The deadline for submissions is July 8th, um, so we have about a, a month where this is going to sit open. Um, again, this is uh, an interior um, installation in the stairwell there that, that Sean's showing. Um, the, the rough timeline we're going to work with is we're going to have those uh, submissions come in by July 8th um, and then aim to work through most of the process um, by the first week of August. Blaine Ford said the listed budget is $75,000. He said the budget does not include $5,000 set aside for future maintenance. Commission member Sean Starowitz said that Indiana artist proposals are preferred. Now it's time for your feature reports. Up first, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner reports on a lawsuit between local and federal government on the Houston South Restoration Project, a project that would pollute Lake Monroe, Bloomington's primary source for drinking water. We turn to Katrine Bruner for more. On February 14th, the Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project was approved by the U.S. Forest Service to begin logging and burning in the Hoosier National Forest despite comments and heat from local officials and the city of Bloomington. On May 13th, the city of Bloomington, along with local citizens and environmental advocacy organizations, such as the Indiana Forest Alliance, filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Forest Service for violations of the National Environmental Protection Act and the National Forest Management Act. The National Environmental Protection Act was signed into law in 1970 by President Richard Nixon, being the first major U.S. environmental law. The act serves to assure that all branches of government are giving consideration of the environment before moving forward with any major actions that could affect the environment on a federal level. The National Forest Management Act was created in 1976 to protect the biodiversity of national forests and, quote, ensure public involvement in forest planning and management, end quote, according to Sierra Forest Legacy. According to the Forest Service's environmental assessment, the project would include the prescribed burning of 13,500 acres and 4,375 of tree thinning, clear cutting, and harvesting of the specific area in the Lake Monroe watershed. The primary cause for concern and for the lawsuit made in May has been the close proximity to Lake Monroe, Bloomington's main drinking water source, and the environmental effects that would come from such massive clearing of the forest. 
The plaintiffs in the case include Monroe County's Board of Commissioners and Environmental Commission, the Hoosier Environmental Council and Indiana Forest Alliance, and individual Paul David Simcox. The defendants are noted as Forest Supervisor Michael Chavius and District Ranger Michelle Paduani, along with the U.S. Forest Service. From any mass clear-cutting, there is the likely outcome of greater sediment and nutrient runoff. However, from the area closed off from the project, there are steep slopes that may increase the amount of runoff and lead to more pollution and interference than expected. The endangered bat species that have been documented to live in the area is another cause for concern. These species, along with other wildlife, would be impacted directly from logging and burning, as stated before from the Forest Service, the purpose of the Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project is to, quote, promote tree growth, reduce insect and disease levels, and move the landscape toward desired conditions, end quote. The U.S. Forest Service has repeatedly stated that the Houston South Project would have no significant impact on the environment in the specific area of the Hoosier National Forest. The evidence from this statement comes from their final environmental assessment and the finding of no significant impact. The FONSI is a said requirement under the National Environmental Policy Act, where an agency must prepare one and address the impacts that the action would have directly, indirectly, and cumulatively on the environment in said area. Also required from NEPA is an environmental assessment that discusses alternatives to the proposal and the impacts it would have. Professor of Biology at Ball State University, David LeBlanc, agreed with the defendant's statement, saying that the project will have no impact at all. LeBlanc has been helping the Indiana Forest Alliance with fieldwork in the past, according to a post from IDS News. LeBlanc used the Multiple Use Sustained Yield Act of 1960 as reference to why national forests should be allowed to gain resources like wood to manage the federal government and economic needs of the country. The Multiple Use Sustained Yield Act authorizes and directs the development and administering of renewable sources by the Secretary of Agriculture. This includes resources like timber, range, water, recreation, and wildlife on national forests to be used for multiple use and the sustained yield of the products and services. On behalf of the plaintiff's side, President of the Board of Commissioners Julie Thomas stated, quote, after nearly 18 months of commenting, asking for more reports, and objecting to this project and the U.S. Forest's dismissal of all the important concerns, Monroe County and the plaintiffs were left with no other recourse but to file this suit. We are taking this action to protect our forest and the sole source of drinking water for 140,000 citizens in our region. End quote. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner. WFHB News correspondent Alex Deuterer produces a profile piece on a student who recently attended the Enough is Enough protest last week. For more, we turn it over to Alex Deuterer. A transfer student from Butler University, where the black student population is just under 4%, recent Indiana University graduate Kendall Bowers found the IU Neil Marshall Culture Center as a way to meet people at a new school in a new town. With IU's black community resting at just over 4%, Bowers shares her university experience as a black woman attending a predominantly white institution, PWI, as opposed to attending a historically black college or university, HBCU. Going to a PWI versus an HBCU, it's different culturally because campus culture, there, there's differences in campus culture. 
I didn't go to HBCU, so I can't tell you like most of the differences. But I know, for example, like bar culture here is really prevalent. Bar culture isn't really a thing at HBCU. Um, that's one thing. Being in classes where I'm the only black person, one of maybe two or three black people, the only black woman in my class, that definitely affected me. And like, it definitely affected my, I'll say, courage to speak up in certain situations. It didn't, it, it's intimidating, but not, it's a kind of like a subliminal intimidation where it's kind of like you don't realize it until after the fact and you're like, okay, I have to make myself, my presence known outside of me being the only black person in this class. Especially with it being Indiana, which doesn't have the most um, progressive views towards a lot of things. Bowers recounts that the Black Lives Matter movement, an international human rights movement founded in 2013 following the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the shooting of Trayvon Martin, is not something that was sparked overnight, but has been a constant in her life ever since she can remember. I feel like it's about time. There, we've been, this has been an ongoing issue throughout my life with Black Lives Matter. Um, and I came to that realization not too long ago that this has literally been going on my whole, like from what I can remember, like I, when Trayvon Martin was murdered, I remember I was in eighth grade. We took a picture with our Arizona kids and our Skittles and our heads up because it's like, that could have been us. Then like with uh, Michael Brown, and uh where is that Ferguson's yeah it's just it's hopefully I think especially with this pandemic and a lot of people being at home and a lot of things like really just coming out and information coming out and people having the time to like actually process that information instead of being on go I think that's why this is such a pivotal moment in the country not to mention that it's also an election year so People hopefully are really about that action when it comes to making changes as opposed to just doing something for a moment. This needs to be for a reason rather than a season. The Black Lives Matter protests about George Floyd are not just happening in our own Indiana backyard, but across all 50 states and the world. The protests that have been occurring nationwide, to me, I'm excited to see it. Um, there's a lot of solidarity outside of the nation, even like globally, this is an, this is something that is gaining a lot of attention and a lot of support and a lot of different types of solidarity. There's a lot of accountability to be expected, uh, that's being, being expected of like major brands, major, like, you know, the celebrities watching with social media being at everybody's disposal. There's a lot of, conflicting things whether it be the truth from a random not well a random person who went to a protest and is like no this is what actually happened versus you know a PR spin from a police department so yes I'm just like excited and hope that the the uh, like from what I've seen it's their demands being made so with especially with like allies standing in solidarity and using their privileges to stand up for a cause that has been fought for, issues that have been fought for for hundreds of years. Like people have given up their lives to this cause. People continue to give up their lives to this cause. 
people continue to lose their lives unnecessarily. And that's the reason why these um, protests are happening. So I just feel as long as people continue to um, just be cognizant and diligent about what is being done, I believe that that these actions can lead to differences in the system as a whole. Traveling from her home in northwest Indiana to Bloomington this past week, Bowers attended the Enough is Enough protest in Dunmeadow alongside friends, classmates, and community members to rally behind the lives of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the other victims killed by police. It was very organized. It was very, it was heavily supported, whether on social media or you came down, people, you know, from the community. You had the LGBTQ plus community representation. You had the, I remember that there was some witches there. Apparently there was a sign that said witches for Black Lives Matter. I was like, that's dope. Um, You had, you know, other PLC solidarity and support. It was very moving. It was very peaceful, which I was thankful for. I was nervous. I'm not going to lie because I know a lot of, protests have been uh, derailed, I guess is the word I want to say, due to, you know, groups, racist groups, or people, um, people using the opportunity of a pro, the time of a protest to take that as an opportunity to do something that's out of pocket. And I'm glad that it just went as planned. Everybody made it safely. The, The speakers that I heard they were moving, and it was just a, a wonderful experience. And I can say that about this purpose because it was organized by college students. It was organized by women. It was organized by, uh, was, it, there was LGBTQ plus um, participation in the organization of it. You had, I mean, it's young people. It's people that I've had the pleasure of getting to know as my peers or friends and just being able to see that their hard work, and I mean, they're not done, this is really only the beginning for them, but that their hard work was, uh, that their hard work paid off. Bowers is planning to take a gap year before going to law school to become a sports marketing agent. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. Now, with an excerpt from her latest podcast, WFHB News correspondent Danielle Patterson talks with Jaylin Penn about the racial equality movement in a piece called Inspiring Change. We turn to Danielle Patterson for more. Hi, everyone. I'm Danielle Patterson. I'm here with Jaylin Penn today. So we're going to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter and all of the different activities and stuff that have taken past over the past couple of days. JP actually had the opportunity to go out and protest over the last couple of days. So I think that's been really cool. And I mean, Jay, we've gone from literally having to stay six feet apart from each other to now everyone's outside protesting, trying to get some change. So you've been out there firsthand. What has that experience been like for you? Well, first of all, first of all, it's just beautiful. Um, Just people, all types of people different races, whatever, different color, black, blue, white, purple, just all coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, just to cre- just to be for change, you know, move forward to change. Yeah. It's inspiring. Um, it's just beautiful atmosphere. Just everybody in unity, you know, mm-hmm. and it 
it really shows how when we come together, how much we can do, how much we can push for to change, how quickly we can do that. Right. And I think that, I mean, why, why do you feel it's so important to speak out now? Because we've seen things like this happen time and time again with so many different people of color, men and women. And I feel like probably ever since Trayvon Martin, I think they said this has been one of the biggest protests since that point. And I think at that point, it was maybe 2014. We might have been freshmen in high school. So why do you think people are finally coming out now and doing what they're doing at such a, um, a high rate? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing with it, with this, um, the tragic death of George Floyd is that it was documented. Like we actually saw the whole world got to see, you know, just the injustice and the police brutality against people of color, black men. So I think that was a big thing that kind of struck this movement. Like everybody's seeing it, it's on video, it's, you know, everybody can just see what's happening. So I think that's a big thing that kind of struck everybody to, you know, kind of have this, I don't want to say rage, but like just this passion mm -hmm. uh, to just go out and want to be a change, you know? Like you said, we've been dealing with this for so long, mm -hmm. um, you know, since really since slavery. Yeah. And I feel like now's the time, you know? The time yeah. is now, like I say, now's the time to just yeah. really change. And I think that's the biggest thing, I think, for sure, is that it was documented and we can all see. That's true. And I mean, I think this is a time now where you, as and us as people, we don't have a choice or we don't have reasons to why we can't get involved because there's so much happening where you can either protest, you can post stuff on social media pages, you can find ways on, I mean, I've seen countless ways on Instagram that people can get involved and just different tips and places to donate. I know for myself, it's been trying to find as many petitions as possible to try and sign mm -hmm. just to make sure and make sure that I'm just really vocal on social media. And a big thing is also having those hard conversations. So. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Jake Jacobson, Katrine Bruner, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Katrine Bruner, Alex Dieterer, and Danielle Patterson. Our engineer is Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news program. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for KiteLine a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at wfhb.org to find newscasts, 
individual stories and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer 